Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne this morning. Lord, we come as your people that you have redeemed in Christ. As your people, we need you. We need Christ. We need the salvation that is in Christ. The salvation that you have given to us by faith. The righteousness that you have given us by your grace we pray and thank you to allow us the opportunity once again to come before you by your word that we may hear and we and learn about what christ has done for us and learn about who we are in christ jesus and we pray now for understanding we pray for the hearts of your people to be opened to the truth and that they may hear not from me but from Christ himself. Our Lord, I pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're still in the book of John and we are working our way to the end, hopefully the end of the chapter. Not today. Not next week. Maybe the week after, the Lord willing. And we are still talking about the Samaritan woman and her encounter with Jesus and the theology and teaching that the Lord would have us extract from this conversation. There are a lot of words there for us to understand about how salvation works. Our call to the knowledge of Christ is a call to an understanding of how we were saved. We come here to worship God by learning about how God saved us in Christ. Because God has determined from eternity that whoever has to deal with him has to come to Christ. God will give you the back of his hand if you don't talk to him through Jesus. He only hears you through Christ. Christ is the only way for you to be had by God. And we have here the Samaritan woman meeting with Jesus and Almost at the end of the meeting, she has some understanding of the person of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. And she runs back to the city with the testimony that she may have had the Messiah. She may have met with the Messiah. And we have a mini Pentecost the ingathering of the Samaritans because Christ also has his elect from among the Gentiles and the Samaritans are the first batch. They are the first harvest of the Gentiles in Jesus. But the Samaritan woman also is going to say, I have heard that the Messiah will come and when he comes, he will declare all things to us. 
when the Messiah comes, he will declare all things to us. So the Samaritan woman does have some understanding and she does have some expectation of the coming of the Messiah. The five books of the Bible are enough for her to have an understanding that God has promised that a figure like Moses is going to come and declare all things to them, all the things of God and the things of salvation. So this is where we are uh, in the section of John. John chapter 4, verses 25 to 39. That's going to be some reading. John 4, verses 25 to 39. And this is what he says. The woman said to him, that is to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Verse 27. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the man, Come, see a man who taught me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. There are three possible titles that you can give to this section. There's a lot of things there. And I thought maybe just because titles help you to capture some of the theology. So by the way of title, I thought maybe three appropriate titles that we can get. And they are long titles. <laughs> Number one, he will declare all things. He will declare all things. And the other one is, have you left your water pot with Jesus? Have you left your water pot with Jesus? And number three, a Pentecost for the Gentiles, a Pentecost for the Gentiles, and we weave all these titles together in the teaching.
So the Samaritan woman knows from Deuteronomy that God had promised to send a prophet. God had promised to send a prophet figure like Moses of the same stature or better than Moses. And she knows that because she has the five books of the Bible, she has the law, the Pentateuch. And she has Deuteronomy 18 verses 15 to 19. Deuteronomy 18 verses 15 to 19. And this is what God said to Moses and to the children of Israel. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. The Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So both Jews and Samaritans are expecting a prophet-like figure because of what God promised here in Deuteronomy. They know that God is going to bring a prophet who will deliver his people in the same way that Moses delivered God's people from Egypt. And not only that, this one also speaks the words of God just as Moses spoke the words of God to them. So the Christ has showed up and he comes to declare all things. He comes to report and to tell and explain in detail all things about God and salvation. The woman does know a bit of useful theology. She has her expectations right. In spite of her sins, she has the expectation that someone is going to come. The people of the world do not know that Christ is coming. The people of the world do not know that someone who speaks the words of God is going to come. And not only that, that he has already come. He has already come and has declared all things pertaining to us and God and salvation. Christ has declared the way of salvation. He has told us that he is the truth, the way and the life. That is a declaration. And no one comes to the Father but by him. That is a declaration that no man would know by themselves.
You don't go to college to learn that. You can't be smart enough to know that. God has to tell you. Christ has to teach you that. And we see here the progressive revelation of Jesus in the mind of the Samaritan woman. She begins at the very beginning of the encounter with Jesus by acknowledging that Jesus was a Jew. She only saw at the beginning this man who looked like a Jew. But as she continues to talk with Jesus, she begins to learn that there's more to Jesus than just being a Jew. She begins to see that this man whom she calls sir is more than a Jew and a sir. She begins to see that this man is a prophet figure who may be greater than their father Jacob. But not only that, she is starting to insinuate that this prophet figure may actually be the Messiah. So there is progressive revelation of the person of Jesus to her as she continues to talk with Jesus. And that's the aim, that's the goal of us teaching the gospel. It is for you to progressively know who Jesus is. We have to know who Jesus is because when we know who Jesus is, then we know who we are. You can't be known for who you are unless you know who Jesus is. But the Lord did something here with this woman. The Lord did not hide himself from her as he did with Nicodemus, but declared to her and said to her, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am the Messiah. Jesus did not hide himself because as we learn from John or Matthew or Luke, Jesus has to be revealed. You don't just wake up and say, my life is not working, let me go to Jesus. Jesus has to be revealed to you by the Father. And when he comes to the Samaritan woman, he does not hide himself. He says, he attests to the fact that he is the Messiah. Unlike Nicodemus, who came to Jesus, and he was pretending to know some things about Jesus, which he did not. And, of course, the Lord humbled him by teaching him that he didn't know anything about Christ or about how salvation works. But the Samaritan woman, on the other hand, came to Jesus as someone who was ignorant, as someone who did not have anything to her name other than her sin. And yet to this woman, the Lord disclosed himself. And even unlike in Judea, where the Jews would have wanted to make him a political king, because you see, Jesus is veiling his identity and only revealing it to the ones who need to know him. If he reveals himself as the Messiah to the Jews, the Jews want to make him what? A political king. 
They want to make him a political king. And they even were attempting to do that. And we know that because Jesus, we are told, perceived that that's what the Jews wanted to do. And in John 6, 15, this is what Apostle John recorded for us. He said, so Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. They've seen the miracles of Jesus. They've seen Jesus feeding the hungry. You can't have a better king than that. A king who speaks things and they happen. A king who multiplies loaves of bread. You could not have a better king like that. So they want to make Jesus a king. If Jesus is the Messiah, we have to make him king. But you do not make Jesus king. So Jesus hides from them. Jesus is already king, but his kingdom is not of this world. And Jesus, to hide away from them, does not use the title Messiah. He uses the title Son of Man. The Son of Man. But to this woman, Jesus is willing to reveal himself because she is one of his own. And she has already spoken more than she knows by saying that the Messiah would come and declare all things to them because, as we know, Jesus has already laid bare his secrets. Jesus is already declaring things about her right there in the open. That's the Messiah. But in this narrative, the conversation that the woman had with Jesus was cut short. It was cut short when the disciples came back from the city where they had gone to buy some food. And when they got back, Apostle John tells us that they were amazed that Jesus was talking to this woman. Jesus was talking to a woman, and not only that, that he was talking to a Samaritan woman. The Holy Spirit is teaching us that the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was really bad. It was really bad that it boggled the minds of the disciples. What is wrong with this man? How can he be talking to this woman? Doesn't he see that she is a Samaritan woman? And if Jesus is a rabbi, he is not supposed to be talking directly to women like he was doing. So this is a huge surprise to the disciples to see their master, the teacher, talking to a woman and a Samaritan woman for that matter. But they were hesitant to ask Jesus. They were hesitant to ask Jesus why he was doing it. And what is happening here is the disciples also are clueless about what Jesus is about. The disciples are just as clueless as the Samaritan woman is about the person and nature and work of Jesus. And that's why in the conversation, Jesus is going to tell them that he has food. But the food that he has is not the physical food, but it is to do the will of the Father. So this woman 
has met Jesus and anyone who belongs to Jesus and they meet with Jesus, their life will never be the same again. If you have truly met with Jesus in whatever context that you meet him, your life will never be the same again if you belong to him. So the woman at the meeting with Jesus, she takes off. She takes off and runs to the city and leaves her water pot. She leaves her water pot and goes to the city to tell them about this man. I've met a man who has told me everything that I ever did. Tell me, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Christ? But there is theology to this. There's understanding that we have to draw from what happened to the woman when the disciples came back. In the context of everything that we have learned about the water, about the fetching and salvation. The living water that Christ gives. And the woman now asking Jesus if she could get the water from Jesus. Hear what verse, verses 28 and 29 of John 4 say. So the woman left a water pot and went into the city and said to the man, Come, see a man who taught me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. The woman is excited about the person of Jesus. And so she takes off and goes back to the city to declare the news of the man she has just met. This man is unlike all the other men that she has ever met. This one has taught her all things that she has ever done. And the woman leaves her water pot at the well with Jesus. She leaves the instrument of her labor with Jesus. The woman leaves the instrument of her laboring with Jesus. The instrument that drew water that gave her only temporary satisfaction is an instrument of work. Why did the Holy Spirit give this in this narrative? Why do we need to have this part of the record that she left her water pot? In my thinking and in my understanding of the overall teaching in this chapter, I think it is to fulfill the teaching that if she gets Jesus' water, she will not thirst again. But if she carries her own water pot, she will thirst again. If she carries her water pot, she would be saying, Jesus' water is not good enough for her. She would be saying, she still is able to find satisfaction in her own self, in her own strength, in her own doing, and in her own goodness. But she leaves her water pot with Jesus 
because she is surrendering herself in the face of Jesus. She has found fulfillment in what Jesus is offering her. And that is why she hurriedly goes back to the city to share the news. She has found the Messiah. She has found the Messiah. So she has seized from her works. She is seizing from her works in the face of hearing and knowing the person of Jesus. But this woman is ultimately not offended that Jesus revealed a sin. It looked like in the conversation she wanted to change the subject about Jesus revealing her sin to her. But at the end of it, she is not offended by Jesus. Because if she was offended by Jesus, she is not running back to the city to tell them about this man. But why is the woman not offended by Jesus? Why is the woman not offended that Jesus has revealed her sin to her? Because she is born again. And the guilt of her sin has been overcome by the good news of the Messiah. The hopelessness of her sinful condition is what leads her to hope in Christ. She is happy to hear and to know the person of the Messiah. And any who are born again by the Spirit of God are mad to realize that they are sinners. But not only that, they rejoice about the hope that Jesus gives them and are happy and willing to share the good news of the gospel. There's not any who should call themselves Christians who are not excited about Jesus. You cannot call yourself a Christian and not be excited about the person of Jesus. You have to, if you are understanding the desperation of your condition, and you understand what God is giving you in Christ, you cannot help but rejoice in the person of Jesus. And if you meet with Jesus, you do not go about telling people about you. You go about telling people about Jesus. You tell people about Jesus and his gospel. I was talking to a young man at work on Friday. He has a lot of things organized. Planning his retirement and everything. I said, that is very good. But I'll tell you one thing. My retirement is not that good. But I have everything ready for me because of Christ. I said, you are going to leave all your money here. But I'll be leaving to go to where my things are. Your hope is only as good as the money that you put in the bank. And if it runs out, you are in serious trouble. I said, come to Christ. Come to Christ and get things that don't run out. So when we 
nor the beauty of the gospel. When we understand the grace of God in Christ, we can't help but tell people about Jesus. This woman still does need some physical water because she still has a human body. But this chapter is not talking about the physical water. And that's the point of Jesus. Jesus is not talking about physical water. And neither is he talking about the physical food. He is talking about spiritual things. So yes, the woman still needs to come and fetch some water. But the illustration here is there for you to see the spiritual reality of one who has met with Christ. This conversation is about sin, righteousness, and salvation. And how those who have come to Christ, who have to see Christ as their only sufficiency. So the one who has met with Jesus has to leave their water pot with him. If you have met with Jesus, you have to leave your water pot. You have to leave your water pot of righteousness with Christ. So in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus says, to the woman and to you you are weary and heavy laden by your water pots that fetch water from broken cisterns Jesus says come to me and I will give you rest from carrying your own water Jesus comes and says you need to leave your water pot with me that I may carry it for you. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and that is why in spite of your sin, I did not condemn you. Rather, I showed you your sin so that I would lift you up out of it that you would leave me your pot full of your self-righteousness and your works and your sin that I may carry it on the cross and crucify it and have you enter into my rest. Jesus says, when you come to me, you find rest for your souls. And if you have not found rest for your soul, then you have not yet come to Jesus. You are still trying to run with a water pot on your head, balanced on your head. But Jesus says, leave your water pot. Leave your water pot of self-righteousness at my feet. Leave your water pot of trying to please God. Leave your, your water pot of trying to find satisfaction in the things that you do yourself. Leave all that at the feet of Jesus that you may find rest for your soul. 
And as Christians, many times we continue to be frustrated by our own progress or lack of progress in our own eyes. And the reason why is because we are refusing to surrender our water buckets to Jesus. We are refusing to leave our water pots with Jesus. And as long as we don't leave our water buckets of self-righteousness at the well with Jesus, we shall continue to bear a heavy burden. And we will never get satisfaction. We will never get satisfaction that we have fully been accepted by God. So Jesus says in verse 30 of Matthew, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. A yoke is an instrument of pulling a load. That is what a yoke is for. A yoke is an instrument of pulling a burden. You don't yoke oxen if you don't intend to pull something with them. And Jesus says, when you get yoked with me, a yoke is a double yoke. When you get yoked with me, I am going to make your burden light because I am pulling with you. I am in the yoke with you, but not only that. I'm also giving you the power of God, the living water in you, who is God himself, who is going to be pulling with you. So this is how, what makes the Lord light. It makes the burden light because ultimately it's Christ who is doing all the pulling. It's Christ who is doing all the caring. And the one who comes to Christ and they submit and leave their water pots at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, your burden is going to be light. So if your burden continues to be heavy, it means you are not coming to Christ. Because the burden here is you working so hard to try and please God, to try and be accepted by God. You cannot be accepted by God. As long as you continue to work by yourself, your burden will continue to be heavy. So the Samaritan woman has rested from her labor and she says, Come, verse 9, come, sorry, verse 29, come see a man who taught me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? This is phrased the same way as the statement that she made of Jesus in John 4, verse 12, where she said, You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. That statement anticipates a negative answer. That statement anticipates a negative answer. It is a, a question 
that has the answer supplied in the question. She is basically saying, I have met with the Messiah, but can you come and be my witnesses? John tells us that the woman went and told the people of the city. She went and told the people of the city. And the way that she phrased that question is leaving some doubt. Why does she phrase this question this way to these people in the city? It's because of her reputation. She is a woman with a bad reputation with the people in the city. So she does not want them to believe on account of her testimony alone, knowing the kind of woman that she is. So she invites them to come with her and see the person that she's been talking to. So on the account of the testimony of the woman, that Jesus had told her everything about her, they came to Jesus. They came to Jesus. Okay? But as they are coming to Jesus, the disciples have come back from the city. They have come back from the city and they have brought back some food. And in John 4 verses 31 to 38, this is what John records for us again. Just reading that again, just to bring it back to your memory. Meanwhile, that's verse 31. The disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So the disciples in the meantime, whilst the woman is going to the city, the disciples come back with the food and they try to give their food to the Lord, but he declines. The Lord did not decline because he did not need the food, nor was he not hungry. He declines because theologically, the context of this situation is about what Jesus gives to his people. It's about the living water. It's about the Holy Spirit that is given to his people and eternal life. It is not what his people can give to Jesus. It is about what Jesus gives to his people. So when they try to give him something, he declines. He did not drink the water from the well. Jesus did not eat the food that the disciples brought back. And he uses that opportunity to teach them the spiritual truth about his work. So there is a misunderstanding here. And as we learned 
Apostle John is very fond of introducing his teaching through a misunderstanding, even though that was the style of Jesus. But it's Apostle John who is very fond of recording the conversations that way, the conversations that the Lord had, that there would be a statement made by Jesus, and it brings confusion, and the Lord uses that confusion to explain spiritual realities to them. So Jesus says, you guys don't get it. I'm here on a spiritual mission. I have things to accomplish. I have things that my father gave me to do. I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples are lost because they had not been given the Holy Spirit to give them understanding of what Jesus was saying. So Jesus tells them in verse 33, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So the food, the sustenance of Jesus was not in the physical food, but rather was in the accomplishing of the work that God gave him to do. So Jesus came from heaven with a mission. Jesus came from heaven with a mission, and this mission had to be accomplished. This is something that is big here in our gospel. And we differ with a lot of people in our presentation of the gospel because a lot of people picture the gospel as something that we complete. It's something that we have to come and accomplish ourselves by our own faithfulness, by our own doing, by our own giving, by whatever it is that we have to do. But according to Jesus, the work of salvation was accomplished by him and in him. It's Christ who accomplished the work. We read this from John 17 last time. When the Lord said, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So the son came to accomplish a work that the father gave him to do. And the work of Christ was to fulfill all righteousness for his people. And to make a complete payment for the sins of his people. Very important. Because that's what we are preaching in the gospel. If Christ did not complete the work of salvation, we have no good news. We absolutely have no good news if Christ just made salvation possible. But if Christ actually completed the work of salvation, then we have some very good news. So we have the Samaritans. The Samaritans as the first fruits from the number of Gentiles. The Samaritans are the first fruits of the gathering of God's people from among the Gentiles. This is the first mass in gathering of the wheat from among the Gentiles. So we have here a mini Pentecost. We have a mini Pentecost where there was a sizable number of the elect from among the Gentiles who came to Christ. And of course, there were no tongues here. 
There were no tongues here. Because ultimately, Pentecost is not about tongue speaking. Pentecost is about the giving of living water. It's about the giving of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says, in verse 35, Do you not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. Jesus borrows a common saying. Do you not say? Do you not say? This was a proverb. This was a proverb that summarized the time it took from sowing to reaping or harvesting. So it's just acknowledging of a time lag between one activity and another activity. And Jesus is borrowing that concept to illustrate his point and was not necessarily talking about the exact time as you would have when you practice agriculture. There's a time for preparation and sowing and then fertilization and then growing of the crop. And then at the end of the season, you have harvest time. And that typically takes about three months to four months. Jesus is just saying from what they know that salvation is like that. There's a time lag between when God sows and the time that he brings his people to himself. There is a time lag between the laboring in the harvest to harvest the wheat and the sowing of the seed. There's a time lag between when God chose you in Christ and the time that Jesus came to accomplish your redemption. And there's a time lag between when you were born and came to the knowledge of who you truly are in Christ. But this all happens because God already sowed your seed in Christ. Your true identity is in Christ and nobody else. So Jesus sees himself as the laborer on a farm who is reaping a harvest of his people. He is working to accomplish the work of the father who is the sower. And like any other sower, he expects to reap or to harvest a good crop at the end of the season. So Jesus here sees himself as he is ready to go on the cross, as he is walking in shoe leather, he sees himself as a laborer who is going into God's harvest. He is going into God's field to harvest God's people. And he says to his disciples, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. This could have been literal fields, if you read this, commentators are going to have various interpretations. And this could have been literal fields of wheat because there's a variety of wheat when, when it ripens, it becomes white. 
and it was a popular variety also in this part of the area. But this is talking more than just the physical wit. This is talking about salvation and God's people, especially in the context of all these Samaritans who are coming to him on account of the testimony of the woman. Jesus already saw the Samaritans as ripe wheat. Jesus already saw the Samaritans as ripe wheat that was ready to be harvested into God's barn. He saw them as ready to hear the truth and to follow Christ. Jesus sees them as the good crop that was ready to yield a lot of harvest. And the Samaritans are a good crop because God has changed their nature. God has made them able to receive Christ. God has given them a new birth. Even though Jesus is walking and talking as is, spiritually, there are a lot of things that are happening behind the scenes. The Samaritans are not receiving Jesus by themselves. They are receiving Jesus because God the Father is sovereignly working by the Holy Spirit to give them a new birth so as to believe in Jesus. If they are not born again, there is no way that they are receiving the testimony of the woman. If they are not born again, there is no way that they are receiving the testimony of Jesus. So Jesus says, the fields are white for harvest. So he's talking about the wheat. Wheat is something that they are familiar with. And when it gets to be white, it means it's ready to be harvested. And if you remember well, in the understanding of Jesus, wheat was used by Jesus as a type of the elect of God. In Matthew 3, 12, Jesus talks about gathering of wheat into his storehouse and burning the chaff. He is the winnowing fork who separates the wheat from the chaff. And he gathers the wheat into his storehouse. So the reference here to the Samaritans as white for harvest is Jesus saying, these Samaritans are my elect people who are ready to be gathered into God's storehouse. But he says, in verse 36, Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. There are two different beings that are involved in the primary work of bringing the elect to God, according to this statement. There's one who sows, and there's another who reaps. And in my reading, some suggest that the ones who have been doing the sowing are the Old Testament prophets and John the Baptist. But I think this is talking more about God himself and Jesus. It's talking about the work of the Father himself and Jesus. The work of the Father in sowing and plowing 
and Jesus in harvesting. The father is the one who sows because it is he who gave Christ a people. And it is Christ who harvests because he is the one who is accomplishing the work of salvation and drawing all men to himself. So the drawing of all men to Christ, that's harvesting. You are harvesting God's people by drawing them to yourself and giving them faith. But in the process, Jesus receives wages. And the wages that Jesus receives is not getting paid like with money. The wages that Jesus is receiving are his people. Because when you hear Apostle Peter, he talks of the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood. It's a church that Jesus purchased with his own blood. So when you are talking about a possession, there's nothing that Jesus possesses that is precious to him more than his people. So his people are the wages that God has given him for the work that he did. And because Christ is gathering fruit, gathering his people, him and the Father rejoice together. Because salvation is the work of the Father and the Son and bringing glory to themselves. And when they have accomplished their work, they rejoice together. Because the Father and the Son are one. The Father and the Son are one. And if Christ accomplishes a work, the Father also rejoices in the work of the Son. The Father loves the Son. And the Son loves the Father. And they are working this thing together. That is why Jesus, when he talks about revelation, he says, you can't know me unless the Father reveals me to you. And he also would say, you can't know the Father unless I reveal him. So Jesus is here with his people, the Samaritans. Jesus is here as the good shepherd. The Samaritans are Jesus' sheep and they are hearing the voice of the master. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So they heard the voice of the master and they are coming and Jesus is gathering his people to himself. That is the harvest. That is a mini Pentecost. This is not a fully fledged Pentecost, but this is the first in gathering of the Gentiles. And as I said again, the Pentecost, the idea of the Pentecost, the substance of the Pentecost is not speaking in tongues. The substance of the Pentecost is the giving of the Holy Spirit. Because God in the Old Testament promised that he was going to give the Holy Spirit. And Jesus comes as the Messiah whose function is the giving of that Holy Spirit. And that's why he says to the Samaritan woman, if you knew who it is that you're talking to, you'd have asked him to give you living water. So Christ comes 
as God. He's making a lot of claims about who he is, only that people don't get it. They don't know how to read the Bible. But Jesus is constantly saying, I am Jehovah. I am the one who promised all these things, and I'm here now giving those things to you. So Jesus says, in verse 37 and 38, and those will be our last verses, for in this case the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. One sows. The father sowed and Jesus reaps. The father sowed and Jesus does the laboring. And that is why the work of Jesus on the cross is pictured as labor. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. That's Isaiah 53. So Christ is entering into God's field to work in God's field. So if the father who sowed and Christ came and labored, that's the first degree of sowing and reaping. But there's a second degree. Verse 38. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So there's a laboring of Christ and then a laboring of those that Christ sent. And we have to make a distinction. The Lord here is arguing from the greater to the lesser. He says there is a greater laboring that only I and the Father can do. And this is what saves people. But you, my disciples, I have put you into a labor that you did not really labor for. I have taken you to be part of my work. But you are not the ones who make or break the work that God has given me to do. So the Lord Jesus, after his own labor, sends his disciples into his harvest for which they did not labor to prepare the ground or sow the seed. Others have labored before them. And the others that labored before them are the Father and the Son because Jesus told us that he came to do the will of the Father. So the first sowing and laboring is the laboring of God the Father and God the Son. We have to get that. So the disciples are being called to participate in a work that does not belong to them. They are being called to be used as instruments to bring God's people to himself. But it is not their laboring that brings anyone to Christ. There is more to bringing someone to Christ than just sharing the gospel with them or giving them your testimony. A person is not coming to Christ because you made a good or poor gospel presentation. 
or that you prayed for them. Those are secondary labors. Do you see the two levels of labor? There is the primary labor and there is a secondary laboring. Your praying is a secondary labor. Your sharing the gospel is a secondary labor. The real work of salvation rests in God alone. If anyone comes to Christ, they do so because the Father sowed and the Son entered into his labor of accomplishing their salvation. And as I have given an example before, you are not being called to make dinner. When the Lord brings us into his labor, he is not calling us to go on the cross. He is saying, you go and prepare the table because the food has been made already. You are just setting the dishes. The food has already been made. It's Jesus who made the food. It's Jesus who has the recipe. It's Jesus who cut everything. Everything has been made. You just have to come and say, come to the master's table. We have some good food here. We have some good news. Come and rejoice with us in the work that the Christ has done for us. God the Father has to have sowed something in someone if they have to come to Jesus. God the Father have to have sowed something in someone if they have to come to Christ. And Christ has to have ripped them for eternal life in his work when he accomplished his work of salvation. So the basis of one coming to Christ lies not in what we do. The basis of one coming to Christ. If I come and I present the gospel to Crystal and she believes, she's only believing because God sowed Christ in her. She is not believing because of my knowledge of the gospel. She is not believing because of my ability to persuade her. You can't persuade men into heaven. You can't persuade men into Christ. Christ has to be the one to do the work, to bring men to himself. The Holy Spirit has to do the work to bring men to Christ. God the Father has to do the work to bring you into Christ. Christ has to be sown in you by God if you have to be ribbed to eternal life. And now that gives us some understanding because Jesus says, you disciples are entering into a labor that is not yours. What Jesus said to the disciples is saying to all preachers, true preachers of the word of God are about entering into a labor that God has graciously called them to. They are not the ones who are standing between hell and heaven. There's only one who stands between hell and heaven. There's only one who stands between life and death. 
is Christ himself. It is Christ's labor on the cross that brought the harvest and not my laboring. There's no preacher who can labor enough to bring you to Christ. It's impossible. Cannot be done. It requires God himself. It requires God himself to bring you to Christ. And when you believe in Christ even this day, it means God, the one who sits on the throne, the one who has encased himself in a light that no man can approach, the one God who is so pure that even the stars are not pure in his sight. He took a second to say, Robert, he took a second of his time. Who is being worshipped by the angels, as Brother Guido prayed. He's receiving worship from these majestic creatures. And yet he has one second to think of Robert, to think of Sister Dassel, and say, they are my wit. I need them to come to me. I have put them in Christ Jesus. Go get them. And Jesus comes and he gets them. Jesus comes. He spends time. If the president of the United States were to come and spend two minutes of his time here, that would be glorious. And yet he is a sinner who is dying. And yet the Son of God has spent time for you, for your sake. And he has come to you. Not by your invitation. The Son of God has come by his own invitation to you. And invited himself. Because if Christ does not invite himself to you, you are never inviting Christ. Christ has to come. Christ has to come. So, as we close, we said many things. But I don't want you to forget this. Because we preach a sovereign grace gospel. A gospel that says your only hope is in Christ. You have no hope in anything that you do for yourself or anybody. You have no hope in your own goodness, no matter how good you think it is. You only have hope in what Christ has accomplished. And because of that, we teach that. You need to leave your water pot with Jesus. You cannot see what I am saying unless you already believe that salvation is by grace alone. You cannot see that the source of your trouble is because you continue to carry your own pot. Unless you understand that the gospel is only by grace alone. The water pot is an instrument of fetching water, but most importantly, it's an instrument of labor. It's an instrument of labor, and we as sinners are very good at manufacturing all kinds of instruments for laboring. We have many inventions. So many people 
we have different kinds of instruments. Some will say, my job is my instrument of labor because they see hope in their job. My career. Some people will say, being a good father or mother is my instrument of labor. So they labor and they labor and they labor. But Jesus says, if you have to get any rest, you have to come and surrender your water pot at my feet. If you are ever going to get rest, you have to come and surrender your water pot at the feet of Jesus. And when you surrender your own works, your own confidence at the feet of Jesus, Jesus says, I give you living water. And the water that I give you springs up to eternal life. And everyone and anyone who has been taught by my Father comes to me. If you have been taught by God the Father, you come to Christ. And when you come to Christ, you can't help but surrender your instruments of labor at the feet of Jesus. The Father has sowed Christ in you. The Father has sowed Christ in you and Christ has ripped you and given you eternal life. Christ has gathered you as the good shepherd and he has given you life because if Christ does not give you life and does not give you the Holy Spirit, you are lost. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd of all that the Father gave to me, I lose not one. I lose nothing. And the labor of Christ is the work of a good shepherd. The work of a good shepherd who dies and gives his life for his own sheep. So these things Christ has declared to us that we may know them. He is the Messiah who is to come who has come and he is revealing, declaring, making known the things of God to you. That there is more to this life than paying your bills. You need to surrender before Christ that you may get the righteousness and the life that is in him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's go before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again, Lord, to praise you and worship you. Because you alone are worthy of worship and praise. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. For you have determined that he is the center of all things. He is the center of the universe. He is the center of life. He is the center of judgment. And we praise you because he has declared all these things to us by his spirit that we may know him and be saved in our knowledge of him. For salvation is the knowledge of Christ. And that's what he prayed in John 17.3. And we honor you and thank you that you have caused us to be born again and you have given us your living water that we may not thirst again. And Lord, we are thankful for your grace. We are thankful for your righteousness. We are thankful for your faithfulness 
even the faithfulness of your son to be who he is and what he has accomplished for his people. Our Lord, we pray and thank you. May you be with the people now. May you remind them of who Christ is and what he has done for them. That they may go out and rejoice as with the Samaritan woman and tell them about the man who taught them everything about themselves. That they are sinners, but not only that, that they have met the Messiah, the Messiah who forgives all our sins. Lord, we pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.